0: How many of you are packed? <laughs> those are it. my people. Yeah, guys. How are those nails looking? Pretty good. Yeah, still. Yeah, man. I just. I'm hoping to get this off by Fresno. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. So, I'm Darren. And I'm
1: Jessie. Like we said before, um, we're just going to introduce ourselves a little bit, and then hopefully we can get as much in as possible. Uh, Before you guys walk in, there is a sheet uh, that has pencils also. If you guys would like to take notes, you can. Um, And then if not, no big deal, but we'll try and get through as much as possible. We have a lot to unpack with you this morning. Um, So a little bit of background on myself. I, uh, I was a teacher for like nine years. And then I decided to take a year off that whole um, Arona thing. We don't really talk about it anymore. Um, No, (laughs) the whole um, stuff going on lately, I just decided to take a break. And I actually am taking a year to nanny. So it's going to... To do what? To Nanny. To Nanny. Yes. I love that. Yeah. So it was really fun um, teaching, and I love it. And I might go back one day, but um, between teaching and coaching, I think, you know, pouring into the lives of youngers has always been a heart and a passion of mine. So that's a little bit about me.
0: Yeah. We've known each other for quite a while. Yeah. Several years now uh, since you were little, 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 little. And I shared last night, it seems like so recent, right, when she was running down that center aisle and just coming up and and saying, I just want to be with my dad, you know, it's like blink, and now we're here, and it's like, oh my goodness, what happened to that time, and I, I think, Jesse, I added up our time, and we probably collectively have over 40 years of being with kids and ministry and teaching. And, and it's kind of unique for us because we live in both education world as well as church and ministry world. So we get to see uh, this whole 18 summers from two sides. And, and to give you a little background in 18 summers, it really was a phrase that I heard up here probably about 18 summers ago. And for some reason it just stuck. And the impact of what 18 summers represents stuck as well because in these 18 summers that we have with our kids to raise our kids, it represents 80% of the time that we will spend with them. And so the opportunity we have in these 18 summers to download uh, as much as we can into their lives is absolutely, absolutely critical right now. And as we're getting this whole idea and this concept going, I'd love to hear your feedback when we're finished to say, man, that was cool, that wasn't cool, that really hit home, uh, and help us shape, because uh, we consider this a privilege to be with you guys, uh, to be up here and to share uh, some of the nuggets. And, and on your outline, just to kind of let you know, uh, we're kind of going through five chapters and I say five chapters because there's really like over 20 chapters to go. So we're just gonna give you guys a few of what we consider the big rocks, uh, maybe the most important things, which will be on your outline. You can write notes, you can uh, have a couple questions as you're gonna see, we're gonna guide you through those as well and we're gonna try to take uh, literally hours and hours worth of material that we have right now and condense it down to just these few moments uh, and minutes that we have together. But Jesse, would you mind just praying for us as we get started? Sure.
1: <laughs> Lord God, I just want to thank you so much for um, this time away up at Hume Lake and uh, just some time to pour in uh, for their relationship with these fathers and daughters and um, that bonding time. And Lord, just being able to spend time with you away from all of the distractions of life. Um, and I just pray right now that you will uh, just speak to whoever needs to hear whatever is being shared today, God, and um, that you'll use this to impact the lives of not only fathers, but daughters as well, and we love you so much, and thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen. 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 And again, if you want to grab a worksheet in the back and follow along and you're going to see how that's going to come into play just a little bit later. But but the whole idea of this morning is simply this. It's 18 summers uh, living a story worth telling. Like, like, what does that look like in the story that God wants to write in our lives and through our lives? And, and how does that play out for you specifically? And every single one of us has a very different story. You've written chapters so far that are your chapters, they're very unique to you. And I also want to say, just you being here this weekend, and for some of you, this is a repeat. Uh, you've been here for several, several years. That's so awesome. That's a win. In other words, you're already starting to live what this 18 summers journey and adventure looks like. So we just want to say, amazing, thank you for being uh, committed to your relationships, to your sons, to your daughters, uh, your families, your wives, and all of that. But I also want to share with you, as you know, that we're in a battle today. Uh, The battle that you and I face when it comes to raising our family uh, is not a friendly fire battle. This is not a battle uh, for the faint of heart. This is not a battle for those that just simply think, well, we can just randomly go through uh, these 18 summers and everything is going to be okay on the other side. It's not. In fact, it's taken me to this point right now as a pastor. uh, I was the executive director of San Diego Youth for Christ for many, many years. I've been around students forever. But it's taken me until now to feel comfortable to actually begin to unfold and unpack. Uh, I kind of smile sometimes when I see a 20-something up on stage kind of going, hey, let me tell you, parents, what it's like to to raise kids. And I'm thinking, you don't even have kids. Like, how do you know, right? I I had a teacher buddy of mine just this last week say, man, if I were a parent, this is what i do. And this teacher is single has no kids. And I just smiled and I looked at them and I say, well, one day, hopefully, God willing, you will be a parent. And then we'll see how that plays out, right? Because it's tough and it's not easy. And we understand that there is a battle out there. And this battle is just, just gnawing at us, trying to get the attention of our kids and of us and to get us off course. So these chapters that we want to share with you today are based on this premise. It's right on your worksheet, it's simply this. Direction, not intention, determines destination. Uh, You might want to circle that. You might want to put a little star next to that on your outline. Direction, not intention, determines destination. Uh, Let me tell you what I mean by that. Uh, Sometimes we think it's enough just to have good intention, like, well, here's what I hope for. Here's what I wish for. Here's what I desire. And, and if my intention is right, then everything is gonna go just right, but it's not. Because it's more important than that, it, it's understanding that there's a direction that you and I need to go down. Let me put it a different way. Uh, we love the beach, our family is a beach family. And if we pack up and when the kids were young and we're ready to go to the beach and the, and the truck is loaded and we've got the boards on top and everything is good to go, and we jump on Highway 8, our intention is to get to the beach and we start heading east on Highway 8 down in San Diego, guess what? We're not gonna get to the beach until we get to Florida because we're heading in the wrong direction. Now, our intention was right, but the direction that we're, we're heading was the wrong direction. We need to head west. Then the beach is only 20 minutes away, not days away. So direction, not intention, determines our destination. So what we're going to do this morning, just in the brief moments that we have, is simply this. We're going to look at five chapters specifically that maybe God wants you to write. These are suggestions from us to you, things that we have observed in other families, in other relationships, uh, in the kids that we see at school and their parents and their families, as well as those at church. These five are just a starting point. It's not exhaustive. In fact, we'll see when we get to number five, uh, that's really going to be yours uh, to unpack and to write. So, Jesse, why don't you take us through the first chapter?
1: Great. Let's start unpacking. Um, so, rightly so. We were feeling like we are praying through all of this. Chapter one should definitely be about God first. I feel like that's the foundation um, as far as all of us go. Whether it's just fathers, it's individual, it's daughters, it's relational. Uh, having God first is first and foremost, the most important thing. Um, so we're going to look a little bit into some scripture, and I'm pretty sure it'll be on the screen as well, but in Luke 2, starting in verse 41, um, how many 12-year-olds are in the room? Hey, hey, 12-year-olds, or 12 and under even, that's fine. Right um, so Jesus, <laughs> oh, hey, guys. <laughs> um, so this is when Jesus was 12 years old, I'll say it in the scripture as well, but just kind of think that mindset, this is how old he is, Okay. Um, Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for Passover festival when Jesus was how old? Hey. Wait, how old?
0: (laughs) There you go. 12 years
1: old. And they attended the festival as usual. That word as usual, let's stop for a second. That means this is the norm, okay? They took, or Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, had a huge calling on their lives, right? Uh, They took Jesus to this festival normally. This was the normal thing. Um, Being 12, you start to feel a little independent, and Jesus is like, I got this. He gets lost. Continuing, he says, but why did you need to search for me? Asking his parents. Um, Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? Now, 12-year-olds, I don't know about you, but I started to get a little sass. So I kind of like picture him saying it with like, duh. (laughs) But he, this was normal for him, right? He has gone to this festival. He has gone to these places. He knew At a young age, Mary and Joseph instilled in him that where does he need to go? His father's house. This is where his love, his dedication, his commitment to the Lord began and continues. Then Jesus continued to grow in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and all of his people. Uh, Basically, what Jesus was saying, maybe not sarcastically, maybe that's just my personal twist on it, but he was saying, good job, mom and dad. You did it you don't need to know where I am. You guys have taken me here my entire life. I want to be in my Father's house. I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to love him. Now, as Robert was saying, obviously, there's the Holy Trinity and things like that, but Jesus was here on earth to be an example for us, right? He wanted us to know that it takes intentionality. It takes going to church. It takes those times to be able to be able to to be able, I'm still morning. I'm waking up, to be able to pour in and love and really gain knowledge to become more like Christ. So Mary and Joseph are, are the two people, right, the parents that were starting that foundation um, for Jesus to be able to make sure that he was loving God with all of his heart and soul and mind.
0: Hey, Jesse, can you imagine what that must have meant for his parents? You know, to, to say, like, we want to do everything we can to to grow you into a God follower, God lover. Like, like it was Jesus, like the Son of God, who under their roof got it. And he was like, I, I'm, I'm doing what you trained me to do. And I'm sure they were just like, yes! You know, they had that amazing moment.
1: So we're going to fast forward a little bit now through Jesus' ministry. He was 12. He went all through his ministry. He went back up to heaven to be with God. And now it's his disciples' turn to pour into other people. So we're going to take a look into Second John 1:4, uh, and now it's their turn to keep the theme of Jesus and God first and front and foremost into other people's lives. And in Second John it says, "How happy I was to meet some of your children and find them living according to the truth, just as the Father has commanded." So this wasn't an option. Okay, this wasn't like a, oh, I'm going to be bedside Baptist today and not go to church, which as much as that sounds amazing sometimes, that was not the command, right? The command was to be there, to put into that time, to pour in and make sure that these kids were going to church, were being a part of community, were loving God. So we need to keep God first, and there's nothing, nothing, nothing else that is important, Okay. Again, I made the bedside Baptist joke. Our lives are busy now, right? It's no joke. That's no, like, that's just reality at this point. So what does that mean? That means nothing else matters. That's just literally God matters. So dads, I, I don't know everyone's story personally. This is just our story that we're sharing with you. But that means that work doesn't matter in comparison. That means money doesn't matter in comparison. Status doesn't matter Glorifying busyness doesn't matter. okay. But then flip the script. For daughters, okay. once they instill that into us, nothing else matters either. That means social status, popularity, for me personally, the comparison game, okay, materialistic things, whatever that is, none of those things matter as much, because they're gonna fade. We're gonna get old, or we're gonna go to heaven, or a new social media will come out, or whatever right? But the thing that is staying true forever is that we need to pour our time and attention and love God, which ultimately we can love others. So for examples for our family, again, it would either be coming up here to Hume Lake, pouring in that time, making sure it's intentional, um, loving God. I feel like you walk up here to Hume Lake, you can't help but feel the presence of God, right? Now take that mountaintop experience how do you apply that down to down the hill wherever you're from okay for us we were able to pour time and attention not only in church but we would find conferences or we would go to youth group or we would have life groups. And now some of you guys are a little bit younger, you ladies. Uh, So if you guys go to church, I'm assuming you guys go to church together. Once you get a little bit older, you get to have that fun conversation where you kind of like let go of the reins, so to speak, and have that conversation of now I get to own my faith and I don't go to the same church that he goes to. I was able to find my own faith community and my own people that I was able to grow my faith in, so to speak, so Our first question on chapter one, if you want to take a look at your worksheet, is what place does God have in your family? So we want to make this a little interactive. We don't have too, too much time, I don't think. But if you want to take like... One minute, go. Yeah. If you want to take one minute, look at that question, and just kind of think, in your relationship, where does God take that place in your family? So you guys have one minute. Ready, set, go. (laughs)
0: You know, when we think about launching our, our daughters, our sons, you know, in, into the world, uh, one of those moments for, for me at least was when Jesse and I were both serving when she was young uh, at a Billy Graham conference that was actually taking place in San Diego. And we went through the training and, and we got ready. And, and I remember um, we were driving down to the stadium there in San Diego. Uh, And we're about, probably about 10 minutes away. And Jessie looks at me uh, as we're getting closer. And she says, you know what, Dad? She goes, I think I was born for this. Now, at the time, she was young. And all of a sudden, it just gripped me. It's like, wow. Like she's starting to understand like God's plan and God's purpose and, and then to watch during that time on the field as, as young people were coming forward and watching Jesse sprinting across the field uh, to go talk about Jesus and to have spiritually significant conversations uh, with these, these young people that were there, it was like, oh man, it was just one of those moments, one of those moments where we realized as much as we got wrong, and as much as we did not do right, that there was a foundation, there was a God-first bed that was laid uh, for both Jesse and for our son, Duncan. So I want to go to the second uh, chapter, if you will. And the chapter two is simply this, lead by example. And, and I know that sounds so obvious, but here's what I found in practicality in real life. There are a lot of families, instead of leading intentionally, they lead casually. Or, or they lead incidentally. They, they just kind of kind of make it up as they go along. And I'm like, wow, we do not have that luxury anymore. Uh, we have seen uh, across the, the, the scope of our country. We have seen in our own city in San Diego that the intentional versus the occasional versus the random makes such a huge difference. We're finding it in church world today. It's those that have a bedrock foundation, they understand that God is first. They have led intentionally, they have led by example. And when they lead, that foundation is there no matter what shows up. And we find that on a weekly basis that we're meeting with parents in the school realm that don't have that foundation. They thought they did, but all of a sudden there's been that little faith quake that has hit their lives, their families, and they weren't prepared for it. There's a scripture in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 19, and I I just put references there on your outline, but it says this. It says, I have singled him out so that he will direct his sons and their families. And and you might want to think about that word direct. It wasn't just kind of like, we'll see what happens. It was intentional. There was a direction provided. I have singled him out so that he will direct his sons and their families to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and what is just. Then I will do for Abraham all that I have promised. In other words, there was this idea that that God has given you and I as leaders in our families, this responsibility to lead well, to pass that baton of faith well, not just to a son or a daughter, but to our family so that that baton will continue for families to come. Your impact, your impact right now will influence and impact your next it just does, and the only thing that Annette and I knew when we were raising our kids during this summer time is that we were going to keep God first, and we were going to lead even though at times the wind was blowing the other direction. Even times it was more popular to go kick a ball, hit a ball, or throw a ball, to be involved with all those things. We're a sports family. We love sports, but to also understand that we've got to keep God first because there will be so many different issues and opportunities calling our kids in particular away from God first and so we had to fight for that and if I could be honest Jesse it wasn't always popular especially as you grew in volleyball and all of a sudden it was like club seasons and that meant weekend tournaments and all of those types of things how are we going to keep God first in the middle of all of that Most of my students, I teach junior high Bible right now, most of my students, when I ask them this question, usually about once a quarter, said, how often are you going to church? And they go, well, this is kind of church for us. We don't really go because we're involved with all these activities that take up all of our time. I was like, wow. And I share with them, I said, do you guys realize that there was a time when going to church wasn't like 1.1 to 1.8 times a month Going to church was like 10 to 12 times a month. Like you would go to Sunday morning church and you would go to Sunday evening church and you would go to midweek church. And and typically you were at church about two to three times a week. That was just a generation ago. And to think that we have replaced that, that impact and that influence with about a 1.1 to a 1.8 times per month. Wow. Wow. No wonder so many of our families today feel like they're on very, very shaky ground when it comes to spiritual leadership and spiritual development in their families. Moses goes on to say in Deuteronomy chapter 11, he says, so commit yourself. And and that word commit is not a light word. It's not a word that is casual or random. It's a very focused word. So commit yourself wholeheartedly to these words of mine. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Write them on the doorpost of your house. Make your house a God-first house. And on your gate so that all who see and enter into your home will understand this is a God-first place. So that as long as the sky remains above the earth, you and your children may flourish. God is giving us this this promise that you're going to flourish if you do these things. You'll flourish in the land that the Lord swore to your ancestors. Again, it's not accidental, it's intentional. Uh, One of the things that we fell upon, and Jesse, maybe you could share a little bit about this, is we tried to really commit to family devotions. And to be honest, it was a disaster. For, for many years. And maybe you've had the same experience. where are just going, oh, we want this to be so good. And it was so painful. But then we kind of discovered a little something that just kind of worked for us.
1: Yeah. One of our, I guess, themes of Team Higgy, our anthems, um, is my time, my place, and my plan. So it's the, what are you going to do? When are you going to do it? And how are you going to do it? Or I guess, in what way so for my time I pace my plan um, that can look a little different for everyone it doesn't have to look the same for me personally I like my cup of coffee and my little puppy right here next to me um, but that could be at least for me personally I have a little devotional book that I start with and then currently I'm reading through the gospels um, so I'll just keep repeating them the rest of this year then next year I'll kind of pray about what I want to do next um, don't let that like be like ooh so holy no That can start off as like five minutes in the morning, and then you can like start to gradually take, you know, steps forward from there because I don't know about you. Well, I am one of those people that are like wake up at an ungodly hour where no human is awake, (laughs) but um, just having that routine and that normalcy of waking up and starting with God, not looking at my phone, not looking at anything else, just starting by opening up the book of my Devo or the Bible or whatever it may be. So that's kind of the idea of my time, my place. There's so many things. There is a version app. You can do it on your iPad. You can do it on your phone. For me, I just know I have a little bit of ADD where I'll get distracted and if I open my phone, I'll be like, ooh, text, ooh, emails. <laughs> so I have to be super intentional when it comes to that.
0: And what happened out of this is all of a sudden, our family night changed dramatically. Because all we did was ask three simple questions during our family time. Number one, where is God showing up in your life right now? And all of a sudden it just created a conversation. It was so cool because all of a sudden it's like, hmm. And and the honest answer some week was like, man, God is like blowing my mind. And other weeks it was like, "I, I don't know if God was anywhere remotely close to me this week. That was honest. And that was okay because that led us to number two. What are we doing to spend time with God during the week? And it could be a devotion like Jesse said. It could be something that we were reading, part of scripture, whatever it was. Here's how I'm spending time with God. We were just kind of reporting in. And then number three, how can we pray for one another? And so sometimes number one led right into number three. Hey, I'm in a dry place right now or I'm not really experiencing God right now. Awesome. Now we know how to pray for each other during the week. So our family time was just it's like somebody just gave it just high octane gas and it became the coolest conversation instead of trying to grind through some material during that time. Now for you, that might work great. For us, it did not work at all. It was painful. It was painful. Another thing as parents and in leadership is is, is this, is it's the idea of finding a proxy. Uh, In other words, a proxy parent, somebody else besides just your voice that you know is godly, and they will have a godly influence on your, on your daughters, uh, on your sons, and, and that's just why it's so important to find a church where there are incredible leaders in that church, they can also, as friends, as family members, whoever, can also pour into the lives of your sons and daughters because sometimes they just need a fresh voice or sometimes they need to say, you know what, things at home are a little crazy right now. How do you think I can handle this situation? It's a safe place for them to talk, to process, and to invite God into that part of the conversation as well. And here's the last little piece I wanna share with you guys is this. This is a freebie, okay? I'm not even gonna charge it for it. Every what needs a why. Every what needs a why. Because as parents, and especially when our kids were young, when Jesse and Duncan were little, man, it was so easy to what on them. Like, hey, here's what I need you to do, and just do this and do that. And I was always giving them a what. Here's what I want you to do. Here's how we're going to do this. Here's how we're going to navigate this. Here's and it's like, okay, I got it. This is what you want me to do. But the question that all of us have in our mind, this is proven through research, is, well, why? Why is this important? Why should I do this? Why is this something uh, that should make sense, even though I don't maybe get it, like it, or want it at the time? That why is oftentimes the game changer, not just the what, but also the why.
1: So you'll see on your little worksheets, we have another question. Um, And this question is, where do I see leadership by example? So that can even carry out from your family. Um, My parents have done a great job being inclusive. So this isn't like an exclusive family thing only, where we could invite friends to our family Sunday night dinner, where we had these conversations of what was God doing in your life this week? or it could be at church, or it could be at life group. And for me, we've twisted the word life group into our girls' night where we do have conversations about how are you doing this week and kind of being able to naturally dive into these situations. So um, you have a (laughs) minute-ish. Where do you see leadership by example in your family? Ready, go.
0: Again, intentional leadership is so important. And the whole idea of what we call our family and friends dinner really came out of a TV show. Have any of you ever watched Blue Bloods? What do they have in every episode? They have the family dinner, right? There's a prayer. It's a family dinner, and it's not just exclusive to them. It's oftentimes they'll bring others in. And, and we love that show. I think it's some of the best writing in television. But, but that idea, right, of that family dinner that friends are also invited to, and it's so cool because our friends know when they come over for family and friends dinner that we're going to say, hey, wh- where's God showing up in your life right now? Hey, what are you doing to spend time with God, and how can we pray for one another? They, they just expect that even though they're not directly a part of our family. Well, chapter three, chapter three in our outline is simply this, uh, family matters. And, and you know that. You would not be here if you didn't believe that. But this idea that family also is just so, so important. We're just going to share a few rocks. You're going to be able to talk so, so much about other rocks that are important rocks to you. We're just going to uh, share a couple uh, of ours. But the first thing I want to share is this, that we are oftentimes the mistake-driven family. And because we're not afraid to try things. We just try things, and sometimes it works, and sometimes you go, let's never, ever, ever, ever do that again, right? Because we're just not afraid to try things. And we have had just catastrophic, amazing failures, but we've also had some things that have worked really well. So we're not afraid to try. And what it's helped us do is move from ideal to real. Would you guys say that with me? Ideal to real. Real, one more time, ready? Ideal to real. Because all of us, especially as parents, right? Or as, as daughters, as sons, we have this idea like, man, this is what my ideal family would look like. And then you wake up and you go, wow, that is not true. Or I remember when Jesse was like one and a half years old, I was like, oh, she's so amazing. And then she started growing, I was like, whoa, this got real in a hurry, right? And we have to understand that we're gonna deal in real, right? not this idea of this myth called ideal. There's not a perfect chapter that you and I are going to write. The other thing tied into this is that we have to work on it and we have to be committed to work on it. Uh, there were times, and, and Annette could tell you, there were times when I would get, ah, oh, that kind of that frustration and I knew just to be in the environment in that moment was not gonna help. So where we live in San Diego, we have SeaWorld passes and I would literally drive down and hang out with Shamu. And Shamu and I would spend about an hour together. It was my Shamu time. I needed a little Shamu time, right? Just to kind of clear my head, to talk to God, to say, look, here's what's kind of going on. And I know I have to re-enter a conversation that I'm not looking forward to. It's going to be a very real conversation. But as a family, we were committed to work on it. We weren't going to bail. We weren't going to back away. Even when there was times where the frustration got so great, it was like, oh, I don't know if we can keep doing this any longer. But we did because I, we were committed to it.
1: Yeah. To piggyback on that, I was just going to say, you have to be committed to those hard conversations. Um, I think each different chapter of life has different versions of that, whether it is Um, six or under, and you find, you know, crayons on the wall, or if you're heading into... That
0: never happened.
1: (laughs) Whether you're heading into older years, where now phones and social media is very much a thing, and there's comparison games and relationships that uh, your daughters need you to pour into, and it just is the reality of it, to when you get older and you have the car, you have the, you're in college, you're in high school, and all of a sudden there's these other types of relationships that you're like, ooh, someone notices me. And just the dangers that that holds. Um, all of that to say, I think when you're committed to those conversations, it might not feel good on either end. As the daughter, you're like, oh, I messed up again. Or whatever it may be. Or maybe the dad messed up. Who knows? But when you pour in and commit to those hard conversations, um, bottom line is you're going to come out of it. Um, I think for girls, I think we just want to feel loved. I'm sure, dads, you feel that too, maybe in a different sense. But I think for girls, bottom line, however hard or deep or whatever we stepped in, we just want to make sure that you still love us, Mm. if that makes sense.
0: (laughs) It makes sense. And it, it kind of brings us to this place also of understanding the power of story. And and all of you, as you're writing stories and chapters of your 18 summers together, to be able to reflect on those stories to say, hey, remember when, and and those times that, and, and those stories. And here's what's amazing about stories stories stick. We remember stories, stories stick with our lives, facts fade. Like facts can come in one ear, go right out the other, and it's like, man, that was a really cool fact, and then it's gone. But stories, and we've had this happen time and time again. Hey, remember that time you told that story? It's like, yeah, I don't remember anything else you said, but I remember the story. Same is true in our families. When we tell stories in our families, remember when. And it's amazing, because sometimes Annette and I will sit at the family table on Sunday nights, and we'll we'll start, hey guys, remember when? And Duncan in particular will go, "Uh, was I there? Like, I don't even remember that, that story. So we'd have to remind them which takes us to Psalm 78. Psalm 78, beginning in verse four. The writer of this Psalm says, we will not hide these truths from our children. We will not. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. Like we're gonna have God talk in our family. It's gonna be a part of who we are. For he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them To their what? Children. Like this is what God is asking us to do. So the next generation might know them. Every, even the children not yet born. And they in turn will teach their own children. So each generation should set his hope anew on God. Not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. This phrase generation shows up over and over and over and over in scripture. Like God is trying to make a point. Like parents, dads, you have the responsibility of passing on the baton from your generation to that generation so that your kids could launch out into the world with that God-first, Jesus-first foundation in their lives. And I also wrote this down, kind of ties in with this idea that we also have to have permission to lead from our hearts. I think there's times where sometimes we step back and we go, you know what, I just want to go informational right now But I would encourage you as dads to lead from your hearts, to lead from that that deep place inside of you that says, you know what? I just want my kids to understand how important this is for me. Like that we lead from our hearts in such a way. and 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 I wrote this down. You might want to write this down as well. Information, which oftentimes we're so good at, right? We download information. That's only the beginning of the formula. Information plus, here it is, emotion. Information plus emotion plus application leads to transformation. Sometimes we think it's just about teaching or it's just about training. And if we exclude the emotional part, if we exclude this, this is why this is so important to us part. Our kids are just going to go, you know what, that sounds fine. But they're not going to see the passion or the importance in our lives because we've taken the emotion away. And then ultimately, as we'll get into in just a moment, there's an application piece as well. We can't just talk about it. You know what drives me nuts at our school? Five days a week, I get to talk about the Word of God. Yay! And my kids sit there year after year after year and do nothing with it. There's no application. No wonder their eyes just kind of glaze back and they go, you know, whatever, more information, yay. Like my kids know a lot about Jesus. I just want them to know Jesus. And there's a huge difference between the two. So I also wrote it this way, no plus feel plus do equals change. No plus feel plus do equals change. To be vulnerable, to be thoughtful, to be transparent, to be honest with our kids is so important.
1: So super quickly, uh, some practical ways that at least Duncan and I um, have a, been able to apply this and unbeknownst to myself, uh, he asked me and then he asked my brother also individually apart from each other, you know, what family, big rocks, what do you think? And Duncan and I actually came up with pretty much the same same exact thing. So just a few quick things that clearly have stuck with us is... Um, When we were little, we were able to do chores and earn an allowance. So work and, you know, tie that in with money. Um, So you earn, you save, you give. We also went to this little, um, I don't know what you would call it, Financial Peace University class uh, by Dave Ramsey. And he was just telling you the principles that our family has applied specifically with the 80-10-10. So you live on 80. You... uh, Give 10 away and then you save 10. And that's just how you are supposed to do finances. Well, apply that to nowadays. I think Duncan and I have done that pretty decent. Um, But they didn't just say, okay, here's this class, now go live into the world. No, they would have us do chores. They would have us, you know, then they would pay us and we were able to use our finances, um, kind of figure that out while we were in the home. Then they started giving us, you know, here's your car insurance, go pay for that, or, and then another baby step, here's your phone bill, go pay for that, or, you know, so on and so forth. So that when we did move out, everything was fine, and we weren't like, oh, I can't afford life, because we live in San Diego, and everything's expensive. <laughs> um, or moving on, phone and electronics, I feel like this in particular, we could talk about four hours, but we're going to condense it into 30 seconds, um, but there is... The professor. It's Jean Mm Twainy, and she is down at San Diego State, and she has written and done so much research um, with iGen, and just the fact of that your phone is virtual. It's not reality. Uh, I kind of touched on it with the comparison uh, part for me personally, for girls. um, I don't know if everyone else struggles with that like I do, but I feel like Instagram is the highlight reel. Now it's TikTok, and I don't even know what else is out there. I don't have half these things. But um, it's just what is real in the world and then what is virtual or what is this idealistic comparison game.
0: Um, let me add real quick as well. Uh, she's one of the ones you want to look up, Dr. Jean Twenge. She's um, done incredible research uh, in her website. I was looking at it again the other day just to kind of double check. She's got articles on there, the books she's written. There's little um, podcast that she's put together there's her YouTube deals when she talks at TED talks and things like that and here's what she says and you got to understand she's younger with younger kids and so she's kind of living in the middle of this but she has done tens of thousands of hours of research and I tell my kids this all the time I said do you guys understand that the research is already out there and then I asked especially my junior high kids I said what if there was something in your life that you knew was harmful what would you do do you know what every one of my students say in every one of my classes? It depends what it is. Because they know where this train is going. They know what the other shoe is about to drop. And, and, and Jean says this in, in, in many of her books and writings. She says, here's what we know about electronics. It leads to addiction, distraction, depression. It's dangerous, and it leads to isolation. And, and, and we see all of these things. Just so, and so my students will stand outside of my classroom before I open the door to let them in. There will be 20 or 30 students all standing in this giant mass. And Guess what they're all doing? They're looking at a screen. Nobody's talking, they're looking at a screen. And it's gotten to the place, and again, Jesse nailed it, we could go on for hours about this. Uh, we monitor our kids on a thing called go Guardian uh, at school. And every single week, we have to have heartbreaking conversations. With parents and with students, it's crazy. So when we talk about dangerous, whew.
1: which I think this is the whole point of you guys bringing your daughters up here—you know, get away from that for a little bit—which um, ties into the next point of. You want to spend time, you want to adventure, you want to play because those are the memory builders. So whether it's Disneyland trips or whether it is sports and you help coach or volunteer, um, whether it is, um, I don't know, just beach trip. It could be big trips. It could be small trips. It could be anything along those lines. Just making that intentional time to spend time where the phones aren't out, where you guys are being, you know, one-on-one time and actually having fun together because that really does matter too. Um, So you'll see on your worksheet some more questions, and the first one is, how do we work through the messy? Um, What are some of those things, whether it is crayons on the wall or something bigger like cell phones or whatever it may be? And then the second question is, where do I see family first at home? Um, Some of you might not live at home, but where have you seen it at home, or where can you apply it at home now? Ready, go.
0: (laughs) Ready, go. Jesse, chapter four. You ready?
1: All right. So chapter four, I'm sorry to cut you all off. We can chat at the end. Um, Chapter four is serve it up. So that means taking the attention and the focus off of yourselves um, and pouring it into someone else. So in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, it says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Um, So this can apply in so many ways, and yes, there are those moments where you guys need to have that time, uh, whether it's your family time, your devotional time, as a family where you are focusing, but then to flip the script a little bit and then go out and do and use that application time. So for us as a family, we were able to do things. We live super close to Mexico, being in San Diego, so we could go do church um, house building um, down to people who couldn't afford a house or um, bigger scale, I guess. When Duncan and I were about junior high age, uh, we decided to plant a church and just kind of blow up our lives a little bit, which was great, Um, and just see what, you know, venture God had for that. And then even even bigger things like going to the Dominican Republic um, where you were able to sponsor a child and I was able to meet that child and just really pour in to what um, people have out there. Um, and then what has been really cool, again, kind of like moving forward in life, is I don't go to the same church now as they do. And now I'm able to actually lead these, um, I guess, missions trips, venture trips on my own. And a couple summers ago, I led a trip to South Africa. Um, So just really being able to take that attention off of yourself honestly fills your cup up way more. um, And just being able to pour into other people. Now, I will say, for those younger, um, I mentioned I was a nanny. My two-year-old little Joey girl... If Jude falls, he's like 16 months, if he falls, little Joe is a little servant, and she'll come bring water and a band-aid to Jude. So it, it, she just already has it at the age of two, you know? So it's having that mentality of not focus, or self-focused, but others focused. Um, then also in First Timothy 4:12, don't let anyone look down on you or look less of you because you are young. Be an example to all the believers in what you say in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. So it's not just one aspect of life. It is so many things. It can be what you say. Again, I mentioned I'm a nanny now. Man, from kindergarten up to like now two-year-olds, these two-year-olds say everything you say. So (laughs) They really sponge it up. Um, But So it is what you say, and it is how you love, and it is all of these different aspects of life and not just, you know, oh, I'm okay, I'm on right now. No, people are watching you all the time. Your daughters are watching you all the time. Daughters, your fathers are watching you all the time. Um, So a couple questions on chapter four is, how have we as a family served others and what what more can we do as a family to serve others and get that attention off of ourselves and onto others? Ready, go. <laughs>
0: Which brings us to chapter five, which is simply called your move. Jesus would put it this way. I'm counting on you. Like I've handed you a baton and I'm counting on you to carry that baton faithfully, carefully, intentionally, and to pass that baton on uh, to the next generation. Uh, to our daughters, to our sons, in such a way that they will have a foundation that no matter what life throws at them, they're going to be okay because their relationship, God-first relationship, is so strong that they're going to be able to weather all of the storms that are currently taking place or all the ones that will take place in the future. And and I love this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. One of my life verses, uh, Robert shared it the other uh, night as well, for we are God's masterpiece. And again, that word poema, right? That that God made us, and He just stood back and went, "Whoa, like that is so good." But then He says, "Don't just stand there looking in the mirror." He goes on to say this: He has created us brand new in Christ Jesus. When we stepped over that line of faith, perhaps some of you did that last night, so that we can do the good things that He planned for us long ago. And that last part of the verse is just so impactful, at least to me in my life. Because he said, look, God made us for a reason. He made us for a purpose. He has plans for you. So dads, let's not drop that ball. Let's not drop that baton. Let's make sure we're handing that baton so that our daughters, our sons, will be able to take the baton and live out the plans that God has for them as well. And not to relinquish that to any anything else. To live out those 18 summers, those chapters that he's writing in you and through you right now. And again, I understand that some of those chapters might have been gnarly chapters in the past. I get that. And that's where the grace of God. And I love it in, in John 1, where it says, uh, Jesus came in grace and truth. Like there's a prescription for parenting right there with both grace and truth. But we can move through those messy times and we can focus on those good times and, and grow our family and grow our relationship. So that when you look back, we smile at those chapters we say, remember when we were at Hume Lake this weekend for father daughter, and we got to go shoot guns or hike around the lake or, or make some decisions or some commitments or just love on each other the way God designed us and intended us to do.
1: So, our question to you is what is God saying about your story now? Um, what chapters? In, a, in your family as your father-daughter relationship should be written next. Um, again, we acknowledge, we know, we've lived through it. There probably were chapters that weren't the most pleasant or won't be the most pleasant, um, but you can start by writing that foundation of what would your hopes, dreams, and desires in the next coming up chapters look like. Um, so we have being again, the teacher role. I don't know. It sticks with you forever. Um, we have a little assignment that you don't have to do right now. You guys can do it later. You guys can do it once you're down the hill a week from now, once you've processed, but, um, we thought it would be super fun, which we'll probably do ourselves, but, um, write a letter chapter to your father or for, to your daughter saying, dear dad, your dreams, hopes, and desires, or dear daughter, your dreams, hopes, and desires as to what these next chapters could look like for you guys and your family. Um, This could be um, fixing what needs to be fixed. If there are wounds or heartbreaks that haven't been acknowledged or addressed, having those committed, hard conversations, Um, or this could be things that that need to be celebrated that haven't been. Um, but the payoff is worth the investment of taking that time and having those conversations or writing that letter um, because ultimately God says so. Ultimately, that's what family is about. So um, some bullet points as to what the letter could look like is, number one, oh, good, it's on the screen. Um, Number one, admit the mistakes, okay? I know we've all done it. Again, whether it's the crayon on the wall or something more.
0: Everybody say, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh.
1: Number two, it's "What are your hopes, dreams and desires?" Um, and then number three is just that application, or that practical steps of what does it take or how can we get there? So though, that's like the letter that we thought would be really fun for you guys to deal. Um, if you don't like homework, then I apologize. <laughs> um, but we want to close off with a prayer from Numbers 6:24 through 26.
0: And I would say this, Jesse: If the if 18 Summers had a theme song, right now it would be the song "The Blessing." Do you know the song that I'm talking about? Like, isn't that a powerful song? And so, Jesse, yeah. What does that verse say?
1: Yeah, it says, "May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you." May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace.
0: Father God, thank you for this time. And Lord, as we write just some chapters, not all the chapters, Father, help us to capture these 18 summers that you have given to us as a gift. uh, To make the most of them. uh, To make our families God-first families. Father, that we would lead well and intentionally. Uh, in this time, that we would focus on those family matters, that we wouldn't just let them slip by, but again, we would make sure that we're having proper conversations and epic adventures as well. And that Father, we would also seek and ask you to show us opportunities to serve, to be your hands and feet. Because Jesus, you said it so simply, it's to love God with everything we have and to love others. And so Father, as we learn to do that and as we model By example, what that looks like, Father. Help us to just seek those opportunities as we write these next chapters as well. And Father, thank you for those that have gone before us, those that have already pioneered so many of these trails um, that we can go to as resources to to get more data, more insight in, in how we can do such a great job on this. So Father, until we meet again, would you just be with every one of these families? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Nobody said